Welcome. In this episode of My Time with Radha, I speak with Tara about her experiences with Swami Radha and her love for the teachings. We speak about the difference between compassion and being nice as Tara reflects on Swami Radha's fierce compassion. I hope you enjoy listening. Hello and welcome. I'm here today with Tara, who's joining us from Victoria, British Columbia. And I'm so excited to be here with you, Tara. Hello. Hi. Lovely to be here. Thank you. And I'm so excited. You know, I, I always start with this phrase of, um, I asked the interviewee what prayer they would like to say. And, and so far, most people have gone with the Divine Mother prayer. But you picked a universal prayer. Do you want to say a little bit about that? Well, it's very meaningful in my life. It's something, it is a daily um, expression, but it's also a daily guidance to me. Um, and it's just a prayer I really feel. Amazing. So we'll say that together. Oh, adorable Lord of mercy and love, salutations and prostrations unto thee. Thou art omnipresent, omnipotent, and omniscient. Thou art Satchitananda. Thou art the indweller of all beings. Grant us an understanding heart, equal vision, balanced mind, faith, devotion, and wisdom. Grant us inner spiritual strength to resist temptation and to control the mind. Free us from egoism lust, greed, hatred, and jealousy. Fill our hearts with divine virtues. Let us behold thee in all these names and forms. Let us serve thee in all these names and forms. Let us ever remember thee. Let us ever sing thy glories. Let thy name be on our lips. And let us abide in thee forever and ever. Thank you. That was great. Hmm. Let us serve thee in all these names and forms. That's a great way to start, I think, our talk together. And I already was saying this to Tara before we hit record, but as I was setting up here um, in this little studio that I record in, I was kind of thinking about you know, how we're having this conversation together and how thus far everyone who I've interviewed, I had kind of already known in part their relationship with Swami Radha. And of course, I I always learn new things in all the conversations that I have with, with different folks. But in this situation, you know, I, I've only met you, Tara, once very briefly at the ashram. And, and so to have this conversation like all the things that I'm asking you, I'm hearing the stories for the first time. And so it's really exciting for me to not only get new glimpses of Swami Radha, but now also um, gain new glimpses of you and, and your journey. So thank you so much for being here with me today. 
Um, and my first question for you is, I, I wondered if you could kind of speak a little bit about the beginnings um, for you in relationship to the ashram and Swami Rana's teachings. Where did it all begin? Well, it all began in the very fertile soil of a little city in southern Alberta, um, Lethbridge, Lethbridge, Alberta. And several women had formed a women's center so this was the heady days of the 1970s, the women's movement, um, and several people came together. I have to drop a few names here, because among those women, I will drop the names of Susan, Marianne, Irene, and Barbara. And um, although there were several, those will stand out today because... Uh, we know them today as Swami Jyoti Ananda, Swami Radhananda, Kali, and Tara. So um, it was Susan, Swami Jyoti Ananda, who first led the way to the ashram. Swami Radhananda followed very quickly, and Swami Lalitananda, known then as Julie, was not very far behind that. So that was the introduction to the ashram. That's right. Yeah, a very um, kind of close-knit Alberta community has emerged then to the ashram. Well, and and it's always struck me that uh, we had this uh, women's consciousness raising brought us together. We all center around a woman guru, and uh, little did we really know what kind of consciousness raising we were actually embarking on at the time. So, right. Yeah. Yes, because if it's if I'm correct, it started off as kind of, like you said, a woman's group, and it wasn't yep. actually even associated with, with Swami no, Radha. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, and then now here we are, so many years later with, I mean, Swami Radhananda, who was then Marianne, who was the president of the ashram for many years, and now Swami Lalitananda, and you and others still so actively involved. It's really incredible how it's come along. Well, and, and how really fertile it was. You were all, I imagine you all as like flowers and the sun is coming and you're all like opening up to the <laughs> to the sun to the light <laughs> that that is that is the history that's the era you know the <laughs> right. flowers on the vans and the hair that stands out sort of the all rainbows. around us and uh, <laughs> yes, yes yes yeah that makes sense and so so it was kind of through that group then and do you was it the first time you kind of encountered the teachings was it at the space of the ashram, or was it Swami Radha coming on a um, on a tour? Because I know she was doing quite a few of those outreach events. She did travel a lot, and um, so when I actually was introduced to the ashram, it was in the um, sp the spring May of nineteen seventy nine, and. Um, Susan, Swami Jyoti Ananda, had just finished her YDC. It was called the YTC, the teacher's course in those days. And um, Marianne and I were going to go out and visit her, visit the ashram, and participate in the dream workshop. And I think I have to say here that um, we, 
it was, uh, I think, it'd be really hard for people today to understand those times because um, it was really, really unusual for there to be an ashram in the Kootenays run by a woman. The whole yoga as a lifestyle practice was emerging but hadn't reached the kind of common understanding that it has today. And certainly swamis and ashrams were not the sort of stuff of general life. And we weren't as consciously, and I think wonderfully, a multicultural country um, as we now are. So, uh, you know, we've opened up on many levels, and certainly in that time, it was quite a thing to be traipsing off in a Volkswagen van to go to the to go with a swami and have a weekend dream workshop. So uh, I, th I really feel that it's a very different time, and uh, gratefully it's a different time. So, so yeah, um, Marianne, Swami Radhananda, and I were going to go out and um, do this dream workshop. And um, I had a bit of a rocky start because... Marianne suddenly disappeared. She was not my roommate, which certainly was an expectation I had, was that we would be together for the weekend. And instead, I was met by a roommate who had come into the room before me and lined up countless um, heart medications on the windowsill, met me at the door telling me what I needed to do if she had a heart attack. So, uh, this was not exactly the dreamy weekend in the mountains of BC that I had thought I was going into. And uh, <laughs> I, I panicked and fled out into the hallway where Susan was vacuuming. Now, she'd been at the ashram for five months and really, there was nowhere else in the world she would rather have been, and there was nowhere anything else that she would rather have been doing than vacuuming. And I come out with this tale of woe. So, of course, with the vacuum cleaner turned off and intently listening to me, she then smiled beatifically and said, Barbara, when you come to a place like this, you need to suspend judgment. Well, I was not particularly placated by that. Um, and it still hadn't met Swami Radha. So um, she, the workshop was starting that night, a Friday evening. And uh, there was a, quite a large group actually gathered. And um, uh, she, Swami Radha was, you know, we all gathered before she did, was a large group. And she entered, and with her was a male assistant, a little white dog, and she was wearing very large sunglasses. So there's the first impression. And then, I have to say, the sun, this was in Saraswati classroom, so it's all pretty white and clear, and the sun was setting, that sunbeam was all around her, and that 
beautiful white hair just seemed to flow out and make this white aura all around her. And before she walked into the room, or as she walked into the room, there was this buzzy feeling, and a lot of electric energy. And she walked in and sat down, and it became utterly silent. It was just remarkable. Everyone anticipating. She seemed completely oblivious to the kind of stir that she'd caused in all of us. And she basically was there. She had work to do. And it was to bring us into the light that I think everybody had experienced, even as she walked into the room. What a moment. So she talked about the dream method. And she told us to go away and dream. And I did. That first night you dreamt. Yep, the first night, yep. Yes, so I dreamt the first night. I did, and um, time does wonderful things at the ashram. I had time to do a little bit of work on it before we went the next morning. We'd been told about the initial interpretation, the feelings, etc. And so then we gathered in the morning, and there were two people who went in that first portion of the morning, the second dream that was talked about, the focus of the dream, the questioning on the dream, was about um, what, well, the dreamer placed her dream either on or in proximity to reservations, as she was non-Indigenous. And so the questioning focused on what are your reservations? I was sitting there absolutely incredulous at this unfolding of insightful questioning that I really had never witnessed at any point in my life before. And the questioning went on with that person, and then Swami Radha said, who's next? And I think this just might be an exception in my lifetime. I leapt into the middle of the room and said, I am. So it was just, I had reservations that had disappeared. There I was in the center of the room. And it's a dream that I still have. And it still informs me. But I think most of all, it just delights me because even then I knew that this is where it all started. So quite wonderful. Wow. So your first your first entry then was really dream the dream yoga as Swami Radha's method. Yes. And will you say a little bit about the dream method, like in case someone's listening and they're not super familiar? Kind of the dream method and and what is meant by dream workshop. So Swami Radha's um approach to dreams. I sometimes listen to scientists and think, gosh, why don't they just read her book? <laughs> Because yes. far from it being this sort of garbage in, garbage out, it's revealing to us um, the innermost conversation. Sometimes uh, dreams have been called God's forgotten language. And that is where um, the unconscious speaks to us. And um, the method takes us... Um, well, it puts us in that conversation 
revealing itself. They're very personal. They don't, uh, it's a, um, there can be a, a more generalized level of symbolic understanding and shared meaning, but the dreams are intensely personal, um, operate on many levels. And her method, um, I think, sort of, it, it, for me, it really engages me in my own mind and how it's unfolding and places me right where I am, always. And there's a zest and an excitement about that kind of exploration. It's, it is an approach that I find really wonderful to the question of who am I? Because the dreams unfold and show me over and over various aspects of myself and who I am, where I am, they place me. Thank you for that. Yeah, that's really beautiful. The, the symbols and how our dreams can show us what a part of us may already know. Um, and I think for me too, if there's something about being able to carve out that time for myself of sitting down with my dreams and looking at them and like kind of appreciating what my mind and my consciousness is is showing yeah. me. It's a way of um, taking ourselves seriously in the really right way of doing that. That's that uh, exploration, investigation, and um, yes, they're wonderful. And realization. Right. Yes. And so, so you meet her in the workshop and, and you're there for the weekend. What happens next? How does your relationship with Swami Radha continue to de develop? And how do you feel after the workshop? Oh, uh, really zesty, stirred up, inquisitive, uh, more. I, um, and I was very fortunate because that same group of women in Lethbridge, um, were still there. And in those days, Swami Radha traveled and she traveled wherever she felt there were fertile soil. And, um, so my relationship with her really intertwines with, uh, both Swami Jyoti Ananda and Swami Radha Nanda because they started offering workshops in their home. And, um, Swami Radha made herself available, uh, it, in, in fact, one really precious memory I have is of her standing in the doorway. It was a lighted doorway at Susan's house, Jyoti Ananda's, at the end of an evening. And she stood there namasteing to me and simply said, call me anytime, just phone me. And she had the most incredible light in her eyes and warmth emanating from her. It really was a total welcome. And then, uh, you know, we had workshops. As the years went by, we started to, numbers of people started to come, you know, attracted to the light. And um, so she, we started having workshops in our home. And um, just on that sort of expression of her availability and her insight, I would say, she, I, she was coming to the house. We were having a workshop. I walked towards her to welcome her and I hadn't said a word. She turned to her companion and she said, 
ah, she's doing the work. So um, that was another way that she she just seemed to me to cultivate this uh, encouragement and availability. I think another thing I, I really would like to say about her is that she was incredibly generous and grateful. She never, in all the years that we had workshops, my husband would leave for the weekend. The workshop would take over the house. And uh, never did she come that she didn't ask me personally to thank him for. So she didn't take things for granted either, you know. Um, yeah, that was an aspect of her humility. And her acknowledging like what was, you know, in some way in your family, like sacrificed for her to be there and to be present in that way. Right. Awareness. Yeah. Right. And so did you, would you call her? She, she said, call me anytime. I, I didn't. Uh, free, uh, she, gratefully, she was frequently there. So we, we were blessed. We had classes. So we were doing classes. Um, Julie, Swami Lalita Nanda joined us um, as we were still meeting in a lovely small space at Swami Jyoti Ananda's house. And so we were having weekly, weekly classes right away. Um, Swami Jyoti Ananda came back bringing us the light invocation. And when she, right when she came back, she had a, a workshop. And so there was our gateway to everything else. And right away we started having um, Kundalini classes and uh, workshops didn't matter whether it was in the garage small garage or Rolanda's home or eventually my home um uh, sometimes more public places a couple of times and uh so we were really fed by a, a tremendous thread always of well doing the work learning the teaching dancing we danced and um, Swami Radha would be there frequently twice a year, spring and fall. That's fuel. <laughs> yeah, nourishment, yeah. indeed. Yeah. The flowers getting their nourishment from the yeah, sunset. Right. Did you, so, you know, you're going to these workshops and you're hosting some of them too. Um, and then did you do the yoga development course? I did. Yes, I did do that. That was 1987 that I did. And um, it just was the, the kind of foundation that I needed for everything else and to keep going. And, you know, when you say in some ways my family sacrificed, uh, in uh, most ways, maybe always, I also feel that these teachings saved my family. Because um, they, well, things changed in my family after the, um, then it was <clears throat> called the YTC, the Yoga Teachers Course. And uh, it became a threshold to a whole different way of us living our lives, including that my husband um, commuted. And so, so many, I, I, um, 
I did a life seal, an early life seal with Swami Radha, and one of the themes that came out of it, a major theme that came out of it, was of expectations. And so what had happened was that um, through her teachings, through the YTC, the Yoga Development Course, my concepts had been tremendously loosened. And as a result, my reality loosened as well. And very positive, generative things were able to happen because I wasn't uh, keeping this tight control on what it was supposed to be like. And it got breathing space to be, first of all, what it actually was, but then blossoming into what it could become. And on that note, I mean, you've already shared so many little memories that you have of Swami Radha. But is there is there one in particular, you know, not not particularly from the beginning of knowing her, but maybe the later years, like a memory that kind of stands out for you at this time in your life? Oh, dear. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> you know, we danced for her. We, we had a little dance troupe in Lethbridge, and uh, we danced for her. And one of the um, times that we danced, we were invited, our little dance troupe was invited to, on her 80th uh, birthday, to dance in the garden for her. Well, it was just very, her, her puja and her 80th birthday was very special as I approached that very age myself. Uh, it seems quite surprising. But when we had the puja, which was just full of light and flowers and a baby that she would hold, and a baby Krishna came to her during that 80th birthday. And I can remember bowing before her and just feeling such overwhelming gratitude and humility. And her eyes were just tenderly holding me. And she just said, just keep going. That's all she said. And it's been an inspiration for every other step of the way. So that's the kind of availability that um, and warmth that she could, um, well, that she just conveyed. And that was, uh, I just feel that I trust every inch of the way from that. I leapt into the middle of the room saying, pick me, pick me, I'm next. <laughs> that it was just this um, unfolding of the trust on very deep levels. Yeah, a lot of moving parts. There's the trust that you had, but then also, like you said, the availability that she provided. And you, you used the term tender eyes that she had. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. There was, I mean, that, that to me is the spiritual mothering part that... Um, it was just, it was an indescribable look of love. Well, that, I mean, the indescribable love, look of love, leads us so well into our theme for the day, Tara. That was a great segue <laughs> of compassion. Um, and in part, I had, I picked this theme for our conversation today, knowing, you know, your initiated name of Tara. 
But then also, I it's been something that I've been working with myself and self-compassion and compassion for my colleagues and people I interact with on a daily basis. And before I, I have a little quote I thought I would read, but do you want to say something first about compassion and, and what it means to you in relation to to your name? Well, I, it's a very big feeling, and I feel it's a landscape that can't easily be sort of compressed and defined, but it's a word that's very glibly used, sort of like love, forgiveness, and we all think we all know what it means, and more importantly, how it expresses itself. So I, there is a, a shared level of understanding that it. I think there's a shared level of understanding that it means being able to feel with another situation. But in the practice of it as a spiritual practice, um, it's far more nuanced than that. Okay. Yeah, I think it's very layered. And I, I'm just now remembering I was reading a book a few years ago and and it was breaking down the the kind of um etymology of the word compassion and um it's lat it has some Latin roots, come and passio and and which essentially means with suffering. Um, and I remember always thinking that that was really, yeah, just very clear for me, um, that concept of being empathetic. But then as you're saying, there's also the other layers of it um, that I that I hope we touch on in our conversation. But before we talk more about it, I thought I would just read a short um, passage from Kundalini Yoga for the West by Swami Shivananda Radha. Um, and it's her speaking about the power of the chakras and, and compassion. And she writes, Compassion can be seen in three stages. At first, it is expressed only to friends and loved ones. Then you are moved by the suffering of an unknown but worthy individual whose plight is brought to your attention. Finally, when your concern can extend to include the violent, the drunken, the drowned, downtrodden. Your compassion approaches the divine. So that that connection of what you're saying too, of that multi-layeredness, like words such as love or or even harmony. Um, you write like these words that we use and we we talk about, but then what does it really mean? to love or what does it really mean to feel compassion or um, be compassionate and and how how does it express itself because uh it's not a sentiment it's an action and so the multi-layeredness for me and the practice of compassion is it's a, a practice in listening uh it's a practice in um, discernment, um, in an interpersonal uh, sense of whether to speak or whether not to speak. It's a um, it's cultivated, and I think Swami Radha says that too, also in the Kundalini book that uh, we have to deal with our own emotions before we can allow that finer feeling of compassion to really flow. So. For me, it's um, very much a active 
thing, even if I'm not speaking, even if I'm silent, it's a finer feeling. It's free of judgment. So I can't have an agenda if it's going to really, if it's this, this connection that we make um, with another or another, or even, you know, how we receive the daily news. What do we do with that? I guess I would circle back, actually, to the universal prayer. Uh, it's an understanding heart. It's a balanced mind. It's equal vision. And all of those things are at play in the refinement of this beautiful quality of emotion, of um, compassion. It's because the balanced mind is is um, the kind of discernment Swami Radha had of a commitment not to leave a person in their pain and suffering. How do we help? What is helpful? And being willing to... Um, discern to allow for the the insight to come through us as to what does another person actually need it's different than kindness it's different than consideration yeah i think that's a really important point too like it's it's different than what you said kindness of kind of just being nice to someone like there's something about compassion that holds the the highest potential of the other person or yourself in mind. Exactly. In fact, I think that you have to put niceness aside to be able to feel it. You might end up being nice, but if that's what you want, you're missing the point. <laughs> and nobody showed that more than Swami Radha. <laughs> so she knew what her commitment was, which which was to take us out of the suffering of delusion, self-created suffering and pain. And of course, she had the insight beyond um, what could be described. And um, so she, she didn't, couldn't care about being liked. She had to get out of her way. We, I have to get out of my way in that way too, in I find particularly that that's in, in the closest relationships I have. That's where that kind of really active discernment is called for. And it's a practice for me. Mm -hmm. Do you have like a specific moment in mind of when Swami Radha showed you compassion or that kind of exemplified what, what compassion might look like? Uh, yes, I do. It's an early life seal that I did, um, which is impactful until this day. I was sitting beside her looking at the seals, and she said to me, we would had some questioning already, and she said to me, you know, sometimes I let people take workshop after workshop and they don't get anywhere. Sometimes I decide to give it to them all at once. And so I sat there just, I think I probably stopped breathing. I know I was quaking. 
I was waiting. I was waiting. She was going to give it to me all at once. And there was my seal sitting up in front of me. And I waited, seemed a long time, and she cleared her throat, took a drink of water, and went on to an entirely different topic. And I went home at the end of the day shaken. My teachers would say that I was appropriately loosened. And just with this wondering, why didn't she give it to me all at once? And hugely, what is it she saw? And so young people won't remember these days, but we used to have cassette tapes and we would tape all of our sessions and we would then sit beside a ghetto blaster and put three words out and then write it down and transcribe quite laboriously the entire transcript of what the session was. And of course, the whole time I was looking and wondering why she hadn't said what she had prepared me for. So literally nine months later, a known gestation period, I was reading over the transcript yet again, looking at my pictures yet again, and I got it. She had already said what she wanted to say. And that her comments were the after telling me, I've given it to you all at once. And I wasn't ready until nine months later. And what she was talking about, I've touched on it actually at other times as we've been chatting, was expectations. Expectations are deadening and they're deadly. And um, I don't think it's any surprise that I still work with that today. So it was a very, um, I, th I see it as a compassionate way of doing her work. She'd said it, she'd put it out there. And then just waiting, and I did get it. Um, and nobody else, this is one of the things I love about the teachings, nobody else intervened and said, well, don't you get what she was saying? People left that process to me, my own understanding, which is what makes these teachings so personally impactful. When you get it, you do get it, and it doesn't go away. So I see that as compassion. And it's fierce. She, she could be very fierce, very direct, because she didn't want to leave us in the kind of illusion, my case, expectations. She wanted us to see the light. Okay. Well, and that word that you just touched on, that fierceness, um, is, is something that I've heard a lot, like that idea of fierce compassion. Um, I've heard that term terminology a lot at the ashram. And what, what does that mean to you, like fierce compassion and how, because I definitely see it in, in my relationship with the different teachers, um, but I wonder how it's, it's kind of shown up for you in your relationship with Swami Radha. Uh, well, I think it is that particular kind of love and compassion that refuses to fluff the pillows if what a person needs is real help. The help that is really 
going to move me, a student, along to a um, understanding that is freeing. And it can feel fierce. The ego certainly feels it as fierce. And of course, all of this takes, most of it takes place publicly in the sense of being in a workshop. And so there's layers of ego protection there. And that's not who Swami Radha talked to. That's not who she was there for. She saw who we are in the much, much bigger sense. That's who she talked to. And um, that could be fear, feel fierce on the kind of human level. But was, for me, always ultimately freeing. And then the process becomes our teacher. So that's the gift of the reflection to me, is that we don't leave it there. It starts to work work us. The process works us. That's a yeah, that's a can you say that again? The process becomes the teacher. teacher? Yes, because we're being taught constantly awareness. And like we were saying with um, with Swami Radha, uh, that she says, we have to do the work on our own emotions before we can get to compassion. Well, and to kind of bring it back to you and your your relationship to the teachings, how do you how do you connect now? I mean, you're you're living in Victoria and. Um, not too far away from the ashram. How how do the teachings show up in your life now? Um, well, that gives me an opportunity to mention something that my husband, um, when he found out I was told him I was doing this, he immediately said, "Well, you you have to tell them that nary a day goes by that you don't say Swami Rana says, or well, well Swami Rana would say uh, so." No, it's a very active, um, I have been well steeped uh, in the teachings, and uh, I, I'm both in Victoria and Alberta, and uh, so I don't get to the ashram as frequently as I would like to, but um, so I do teach with uh, the Alberta Teachers Group, and it's lovely because we've got a group of five teachers, which means that we can teach part of the time and be a student part of the time. So that is the active way that the uh, work keeps going in that way. And um, I also do the half the class with people that have been with me for 35 years. And of course, Zoom. In fact, this week, one person was in Maui, one person was in Tofino, and the rest were in Lethbridge. Um, so I keep it going. I keep it going through the practices. Um, and I, I have to say, I do, I was blessed for many, many years, 40 years actually, by a group. And that group, for a lot of that time, met in my own home which was a privilege beyond description. I don't have that kind of a group. Uh, and I often think of the numbers of people who go to the ashram and leave without the kind of support that 
that I've known all the way through. Because I do feel the absence of a group right now, other than the fact that our Alberta Teachers Group is a small group in itself. So that's a continuing thread. And um, the practices themselves are generative, and life brings to us, uh, you know, we, I feel that I used to say that the Kundalini system was the framework, but I, I just, I don't feel it in that way anymore. It's more that it is just so um, expressive in everything that's happening all the time. There isn't anything happening that I can't bring back to some kind of an awareness of the teachings um, or of the practices. So it's a, it's a bit more solitary kind of work than I've known before, but um, I also don't feel alone in it, if that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and yeah, that, that whole thing of not feeling alone in it, I saw like the email that was going around about, you know, the ashram celebrating 60 years and, and they've asked um, people who've been connected to commit to some sort of practice as an offering to Swami Radha and kind of that idea that through the practices, we are all connected and in the light, we're all connected. Right. I've, I've really had the experience of the, um, my husband had cancer, we went on the prayer list, which I now perpetually am on the prayer list and my family. But during that time of uh, surgeries, treatments, etc., there was a truly tangible feeling of support. And I thought, this is the real web. There, there is a web that's strong supporting us all the time. Uh, once I have opened to what it is that there, there is the support and foundation. It literally becomes tangible. Well, and certainly all your stories have have felt very tangible and real and alive. Um, and I am so grateful that you've shared them with me and have been in this very active conversation. It's felt very heart-filling. Is there anything you want to say as kind of like closing remarks? Or maybe there's one more memory that's like, oh, I have to talk about this too. Is there anything that's coming to mind? Oh, my. Well, one of the things that that you had earlier suggested uh, we might chat about is what would I say to young people coming? What would what would I say? And um, what came to mind for me is I don't know where this uh, expression originated, but know thyself and to be free. And Swami Rana had a note card personal note card with that written on it. And um, to young people or all people, I really would say all people, um, that that's what I would invite people to, is that knowing that takes us beyond the limitations, beyond some of the suffering, um, and frees us. And I feel that um, the ashram 
the teachings are, um, they're evergreen, they're ever-renewing, they're available. And, and now, of course, with electronic connection, they really are available so much more broadly. And the examples of people who have been working with these teachings, even a short time, <laughs> we, we can see the freedom and the joy unfold. Oh, thank you so much, Tara, for joining me and for agreeing to have this conversation. Um, I really appreciate it. And yes, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Swami Radha Kijay, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Namaste. Namaste. I hope you enjoyed listening to this episode. Yashodra Ashram is located on the unceded traditional territory of the Tanaha and Sanaixt peoples. You can learn more about the ashram by visiting our website at yashodra.org. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. Until next time, I'm Katie Taher, and this is My Time with Radha. <laughs>